Are you looking for practical ministry help to inform and inspire your leadership? Do you have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of other leaders in pursuit of stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast, presented by CDF Capital, helping churches grow. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you have decided to tune in. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation with Pastor Mike Signorelli. He is from V1 Church. This is one of the fastest growing churches in the country, and I love this. They have a vision to be a global voice of the gospel to all people. I love that. A huge vision. Love it. Uh, They've grown from one location to multiple campuses nationally across from Long Island, New York City, Chicagoland, Miami, with over 100 revival homes, what they call revival homes, uh, globally, Mike and his wife, Julie, founded V1 Church. We're super excited to have Mike on the show today. Welcome, sir. Glad you're here. Hey, this is going to be an amazing conversation. By the way, we love your podcast. So shout out to oh, my thanks, entire brother. team who already listens and is excited <laughs> about this. Well, th- this is a bit of a self-congratulatory moment. We're actually celebrating 10 years of the podcast, which wow. is, cr- is crazy to me. And so one of the things I love is... I, I've you know kind of tracked with your church on and off over the years, and so so fun. Actually, my assistant said, "Oh, we're reaching out to V1," and it was like I don't even think she knew that we had we had we you know chatted a little bit, been together in some cohorts, and so uh, super excited to have you on uh, today. Well, why don't you fill in the picture? Kind of tell us a bit about V1. Tell us about your background. Uh, you know, fill in the picture for folks. Yeah, and I want to provide as much value as I can for the pastors and leaders listening right now, and so I'm going to be super transparent and vulnerable. Our church started with 18 people, none none of which had a church before. I was their very first pastor, and it's wow. because I led them to Christ. And so I have mm. the engine of an evangelist and kind of like the heart of a shepherd. They were agnostics, atheists, Hindu, Muslim. And so primarily mm. I was like, how do I lead the lost to Christ? Because that would be the DNA of our church. And I wanted to make sure that the the DNA of our church wasn't necessarily transfer growth, even though there's nothing mm. wrong with that in certain situations. It was like, I, I want, you know, I believe that you impart who you are, right? Mm, and so like you so can good. tell your church to evangelize, but if you aren't evangelizing, as my friend John Maxwell would say, you are the lid. It's the law of the lid. And so mm. I was like, New York City is a tremendously hard place to have a church. And less than 3% identify as evangelical Christian out of the millions of people here. And so I was like, I need to learn how to lead lost people to Christ myself mm, so I can impart so that into my team. And so We started with 18 people, and I actually had moved from Northwest Indiana to New York City, Mm. sold my house, cashed out my retirement, one of those stories. And so then (laughs) coming into launch day, and I know there's somebody listening who's going to identify with this. Mm. I was like, you know what? I've spent all this money on marketing. I've done the playbook for ARC. Shout out Chris mm. Hodges, who's a friend of mine. <laughs> I did everything yeah. they said to do. And I expected like, okay, at least the worst case scenario is 300 people show up. And then right. the next week, 150 will remain and we can be sustainable. Right. So with, with me selling my house, cashing out my retirement, That's doing amazing. every... Everything God told me to do, we go to launch Sunday and we go from 18 people to 50. And I was suicidal. 
<laughs> yes. What is happening? Yes. Oh my goodness. I mean, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I remember looking at that movie theater and seeing 50 people and, and mind you, my team is ecstatic because none of them had ever had a pastor before. And so they're yes. thinking like, we just tripled, you yes, know? Yes. And yes. I'm like, and so on the drive home, <laughs> I'm so depressed. And my wife puts her hand on my shoulders like, Mike, it's going to be okay. I'm inconsolable. Leave me alone. Don't even talk to me. I ended up getting three flat tires that day. That's a whole nother story. I don't know if it was demonic, but it was like kill mode, you know, it was like, so it's like I get three flat tires and a parking ticket in New York City. And I remember just having to make my mind up, like, what is it really about? Because, mm. you know, we measure, but a God weighs, you know, and I mm. remember the Holy Spirit dealing with me about like, what if it, what if it is 50 people? What if it is a hundred people? Like, can you learn to love the one? And what's mm. it all? So I had, it was a real soul searching time. Matter mm. of fact, it took us, it took us, I think a year and a half to break a hundred. And I, by wow. the way, I was the executive pastor of a multi-site mega church before I moved to mm. New York city. So I assumed I was going to save New York City and I was going to have <laughs> this mass right third. And yes. it just, you know, but in that season, I, I learned an, another thing. And this is kind of a phrase we use in the V1 world. We go mm-hmm. slow to go fast. Mm, so, good. so there was something like fast success builds ego, but mm. slow success builds sustainability. Oh, good. And That's for good. For me, it was like we go slow to go fast, and so I I came out of my mild depression, and I was like, <laughs> "Wait a second, what's hard? Where in the world is harder than New York City, and who's right. winning there?" You know, because right. it's almost like one of the things about oh, like Christian, that's cool. Yeah, like one of the things about Christian mission trips is oftentimes they're for the Christians more than the people they go to serve. Right. <laughs> true. Very so true. My thing was like you know, what, uh, what is harder? So like a lot of times you go to these other countries and you're like, man, once I see the way they live, I feel all of a sudden I feel so much better about where I live. Mm. And so I, and so I started looking to Muslim nations. I started mm. looking to places where, you know, the odds were like, what's worse than 3%. And mm. I started looking to 1040 window. And so then we switched our strategy to ruthless oh, disciple making. Right. So it was like huh. disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And so I was like, you know what? Evangelical, American, Western, you know, like th- those, those models, I, I think there's tremendous value in them. But for right. me, I'm in a situation where it's like, it's a both and. It's not, it's not like, so I didn't mm. ditch the ARC model. I didn't ditch mm-hmm. some of the things that tried and true. But it was like, I need to, it needs to become a both and. Do both and. Love it. Oh, yeah. I love that. That's so good. I, um, you know, I love this idea of ruthless disciple making, going slow to go fast. Hey, we've got to really focus on the people that are in front of us. How do we, what, what did that look like when you talk about ruthless disciple making? What does that look like for you? What did it look like for you in that phase? And then, you know, what does it look like today? I, I also just want to put a pin in this, friends. I, we started by describing how you talk about the vision or how the church talks about the vision, a global voice of the gospel to all people. I love, I'm lo- going to look forward to drawing the line for people. How do you go from 50 on launch day to that huge vision? I love that. So, but what did ruthless disciple making look like? What does that look like? Yeah, you well, and, you know, a lot of times in Western American church, it's like we we have you know, people who that we quote unquote release to do certain things. So, oh, so-and-so is leading a small group. So-and-so is preaching on Sunday. So-and-so is, and, and that's appropriate because we do need a standard by which we, you know, evaluate whether or not someone's ready for influence. 
But then I think what's missing is, but, but like, are we teaching people to evangelize and lead lost people to Christ in their own personal mm. life and building a value around that? And then are we oh, helping so them actually disciple people? And how do they do that? So if you were to ask most Christians in America, have you led somebody to Christ? probably they'd answer no. And then amongst mm. the ones that said yes, then you would say, well, are you discipling them? And what does that look like? So, mm. so, so here's what we started to do, okay? Um, mm -hmm. Because I don't want any pastor listening right now to feel like I'm deconstructing the their entire church. Because again, <laughs> I, I'm saying it's both and. It's yes. both and. So the question used to be, how do you disciple people at V1, at V1 Church? Now the question is, how do you not get discipled at V1 Church? <laughs> oh, I love it. Love it. So it's, great. Like, so it's ubiquitous. And right. so it's like, it's holistic. Discipleship mm -hmm. is everything. So joining the dream team to serve as a volunteer is a form of discipleship. And we just say that. We're going to disciple mm. you through volunteer. Um, going to a small group is a form of discipleship. But hey, listening to Pastor Mike's sermon on Sunday is also a form of discipleship. So there's an intentionality of using the word discipleship, but connecting it to things in a way right. that helps people understand, hey, I don't know if you missed it, but it, you were just discipled. And Rich, for, for years, I would actually get up on stage and say, hey, guys, I'm so excited to disciple you right now. And, and they would be like, oh, this is discipleship. Yes. And then, I, and then the dream team leaders would be like, hey, guys, I'm so excited. We're in our huddle before service starts. Let me disciple you. Mm. And it was almost like we just started narrating the moment and telling people you're <laughs> being discipled. But then another, okay, so now that's the both and. But then another thing that we added in those early days was a system for tracking discipleship. And so in other mm. words, <laughs> there's like a pipeline but also a family tree. Mm. So you've heard about like the leadership pipeline. So for the example of that would be people go to your assimilation, maybe it's growth track and they become a member. And then in that membership phase, they become a dream team participant. Now they're like serving in, in the parking lot. And then maybe the pipeline is they become a parking lot like leader, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's the pipeline. But then I think most churches don't have a family tree. Mm, so like, oh. and I, I know this is kind of like nuanced and it might feel mm. a little like mystical and new, like new school. Like, like, what is he talking about? But here's what I would do. I mm -hmm. would literally, when I meet people who I know are faithfully attending my church, I would say, Hey, I got a question for you. Who are you discipling right now? Mm, love it. Okay. So like, let me that's give you an example of super yep. practical. I led yep. this guy named Ayush to Christ, who was a Hindu, multi-generational Hindu. Mm -hmm. And um, his dad had just died. And I was telling him, I said, Ayush, you can still have a dad. And he was like, how? My dad's dead. I said, well, God wants to be your father through mm -hmm. Jesus. And I mm -hmm. gave a basic gospel message. So Ayush starts crying and he's like, wow, that makes so much sense. Like I feel something right now. And I'm like, Ayush, you're feeling the love of the father right now. This is, and, I'm, and so he accepts Jesus. Mm -hmm. I baptize mm -hmm. him. And, mm -hmm. uh, but then Ayush says, Pastor Mike, I'm so afraid to tell my mom and my, my family that I've become a Christian, you mm. know, because, uh, you know, this is going to be devastating news because we're all Hindus. And I say, well, Ayush, unfortunately for you, if you deny Christ before your family, he's going to deny you before his father. 
Okay. So I'm telling this New York City former Hindu, you've got, you have to go tell your whole family yes, yes. that you are now a believer. So he goes and breaks the news to his family. They're all bawling their eyes out. And then he comes back. He's like, okay, I did it. Am I a real disciple now? Mm. So like, this is, this is the gospel. And I'm like, yeah, you're wow. willing to break wow. your mom's heart so you don't break God's heart. Like, mm that wow. you are a disciple but then once he starts stabilizing and there's mm -hmm. fruit in his the fruits of the spirit in his life now i have to go to ayush and say ayush i got a question to you who have you led to christ right you know right. who are you deciding on yeah yeah totally yeah, and so like we started creating the concept of like there's leadership pipelines i love that i obsess over it but then mm -hmm. there's family tree and right. now i'm saying okay ayush you maybe got rejected by your my your biological mother, your biological sister, but now you need to start creating a family tree. Who are you mm -hmm. discipling? What does that look like? Yeah, I love that. Well, and I think there can be a there's a there's a tension that it, and it's a false dichotomy that is sometimes felt in churches where it's like you have to either be you know heavily evangelism or heavy discipleship. You can't do both. You can't, you know, and, and that's, that isn't true. And we see that time and again with fast growing churches that it's like, you realize, gosh, we've got to do both. We have to find a way to grow people up, to move them farther in their relationship with Jesus, partly because there are so many people coming in. Um, talk to me about one of the, the um, criticisms of a discipleship, a heavily discipleship oriented church is it can become kind of inward focused. It can be about, hey, it's just about inward kind of I'm gathering information. I'm, you know, the stereotype, this isn't actually true, but the stereotype is like, it's like, a, it's just about acquiring information. It's just about acquiring trivial knowledge. How have you been able to push against that in your environment as you've been trying to increase discipleship at V1? Yeah, absolutely. And this is going to help a lot of pastors and leaders. So I look at people going through three distinct phases and it, okay. and it helps them go from inward focus to outward focused as you, because anytime there's an obsession over self, that's the fastest way to shrink and kill your church, you know? Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and so we've got to get people outward focus. We have to get people thinking about other people. And, and, you know, that's a very hard thing to do because a lot of American culture in particular is extremely consumeristic. And mm -hmm. so even I, so for example, I tell people the, the Lord's prayer is actually we and our language, not me. So our mm. father who is in heaven, you know, give us today our mm. daily bread. So Jesus, when he was discipling, he was using we language, us language, our language. And to most Americans, that's mind blowing. They never even noticed it. Because right. we're all like, me, me, me. So <laughs> yes. I, the three distinct phrases that I'm trying to graduate people through is hospital to family, family to army. And, mm. the re and oh, I so use good. that kind of language. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because, listen, when people come to us, they are broken and they're coming to the hospital. And I will tell you, so my brother is a nurse and he gave me this acronym that nurses sometimes use for pain. And it's pay attention inside now. So like, for mm. example, Rich, if I were to kick you in your stomach as hard as I could. <laughs> you yes. know, thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> A good friend. You know, as soon as I would do it, you would become the most selfish person in that environment right. because you would say this you got nothing pain, else to think about yeah there's nothing else i can think about so usually right. selfishness is an indicator of pain 
So mm. it's like the most selfish people oh, are the, most, the people in the most pain. And matter of fact, right. and that, you know how I know that because I was raised by a single mother on welfare, social assistance in a trailer park, mar- multiple abusive stepdads. And so mm. I was in a lot of pain. So even when I became a pastor, I was a selfish pastor because I was mm. still in pain. And it's mm. funny because you can't be generous when you're in pain. You, you can't right. give financially because it's like, well, I need, I, I, I. And that's why Jesus puts an example on the woman who gives two mites because, man, her, her situation, being a widow, would demand pay attention inside now. I'm in a lot of pain. So that mm. woman did a supernatural act by being gener- generous and selfless in the midst mm. of all that pain. So that's good. So here's my thing though. You don't, you don't tell people are hurting, stop hurting, you know, like what kind of a psychopath would I be if I was like, Rich, stop, you know, stop, stop, you know, acting like that. Cause you know, what's, what's the natural posture of somebody in pain? They get smaller. Mm. So you would, if I kicked you in your stomach, you would go, you would become smaller. You would buckle over. And if I said like, stop doing that, you, mm. and so I think a lot of us as pastors, we're trying to tell people who are in pain, stop doing that posture. I need you mm. to serve on the dream team. I need you to serve. I need you to give more financially. I need, and they're like, mm. I can't. Like, I, right, I can't right. do anything other than this posture. So what does that look like? So I, I love this, you know, hospital family army. So in the hospital phase, what are you doing to try to help people? Or what does that kind of practically, how does that work itself out to kind of help people move people from hospital to family? Yeah. And I think this is a tweak on Chris Hodges stuff. And I've talked to him about that at length. Yes, yep. we believe in assimilation, but assimilation mm. without healing is not going to produce sustainability because oh, people can't live beyond their level of health. Right. So it's like you're trying to ask people to do healthy behaviors that aren't healthy. So what mm. that looks like for me is, is and I'm just going to be brutally transparent right now, some people come to you like Mary Magdalene. Mm. And my friend Robert Morris understands this. They call it freedom ministry. Some people mm-hmm. may need to get free from demonic oppression. There, there right. may be things in their life that's like, man, but guess what, Rich? Sometimes it's not a demon. Sometimes it's mental health. And so Mm. in the V1 world, I have mental health counselors that all over the United States that we send people on scholarship journeys and we have Mm. a whole budget for our church to be like, we're going to pay for you to go to biblical based, you know, therapy and counseling for months if we have to. And we're making these massive investments in people to Mm. get them healthy. And so Mm -hmm. what that looks like is scholarshipping people from for counseling um, and and basically, like growth track for us looks like a diagnosis, mm, not just a okay, okay, right. So we're like, hey, that person's marriage is jacked. We need to send them to marriage counseling for a minimum of eight weeks, and we'll pay mm, for it. Mm. Hey, that person, we think that person's demonized. They need to get deliverance. They need to get free, and we need to teach them because, hey, Rich, listen, I'm sorry to say it, but the new age and occult practices are ubiquitous now. People know their sign, but they can't quote you a scripture. You know, my good friend, Mike Todd, I helped him through a session that he did at his last transformation conference to get people to stop participating in new age practices. Like, so people are coming to us like jacked up. So my mm-hmm. goal practically is, do you need to go through freedom like you would at Robert Morris or Transformation mm-hmm. Church? Do you need to go through a, a counseling, you know, extended therapy and counseling, biblical based? Um, here's another one. And this is scandalous, but churches need to start thinking like this. 
do we need you to, um, do we need to put some resources in your life for your physical body? And, mm. and what does that look like? And so, you know, um, in V1 world, we might say, Hey, there's somebody that will come alongside of you and go on a journey with your, with you in a, in your physical body. And we have stories <laughs> of like people getting free. So think about this, wow. and this is the vision the Lord gave me. And obviously you could tell I'm more apostolic. I don't go sure. by the title, but like, I love to activate and empower people. And so right. like in the nineties, the reason why the mall, the concept of a mall was so huge in the United States was because your entire family could go and there were stores for each like niche. So like, mm -hmm. I kind of look at the local church as a mall where it's like, Hey, I don't specialize in the body, but I do have pastors and staff members that do that will, mm -hmm. that they love, they'll love to help you figure out your diet and a workout mm -hmm. regimen, you know, mm -hmm. or I've got mm -hmm. like our church doesn't do biblical based counseling well, but I learned this from TD Jakes at the Potter's house. He has a whole mm -hmm. arm that does counseling. So it's like, right. but we will refer you. And if finances are a barrier, we'll pay for it. Yeah, we'll help and, you with that. And, yeah, and, yeah. and so a scripture in Proverbs says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world mm -hmm. of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. So as mm -hmm. a church, we're like, hey, let's become generous with our gifts and provide mm -hmm. these resources for each other. And so the example, and this is like, you know, and then I'll kind of kick it back to you. Mm -hmm. But the mm -hmm. example is, in the 1800s, you have that doctor that does house visits. One doctor with mm -hmm. a black bag that comes around from house to house. Now, here's <laughs> yes. the thing. It feels so good for that man to walk into your house and you get personal care. But you right. still might die because he's not, he's an expert in nothing. Right. Yes. Then yes. the new school hospital has like state of the art cancer facilities, state of the art postpartum birthing facilities. Mm -hmm. So, really, what V1 has become is so what the, what the people want me to be is the doctor that goes from house to house. Oh, right. I personally know my pastor. But what mm -hmm. I've refused to do is let me generalize in everything but specialize in nothing. And so now V1 Church becomes a state-of-the-art facility where it's like, hey, I don't specialize in marriage, but I know someone who does. Love it. And that's Let's another form of discipleship. Love it. We're going to come back to that. I want to come back to that as an idea, but I, I want to stick for a second to the, this transition of family to army. So I, I love that. I think you're raising all kinds of good questions around, hey, you know, our, if our assimilation process is just about pushing people ultimately to get on a team and we're not addressing, hey, what, what's actually happening within them, man, we're just setting ourselves up for a failure. I think that's a really big thought we need to wrestle with. Uh, John Mark Comer, I love, he talks about this. One of these great ironies of the New Testament is it would appear like for the first three, 400 years, well, it's clear the first three, 400 years, the Christians were pacifists. They, they really resisted um, using any kind of force. And, but ironically, there's all of this New Testament text that talks about us as soldiers and an army and on mission. And, you know, there's a ton of that language there, um, which is, is a bit of an irony, but how do we, how do we help move people who are connected in our church from thinking about this just as a family, but ultimately to a, to an army on task, trying to get out and do something. What does that look like for V1? Yeah. And I'll, I'll try to give you just a super practical answer. It's funny because there's this big trend in Christianity to talk about Sabbath, to talk about rest. We like, we upset, you know, <laughs> sure. if you want to, like, if you're listening and you want a viral sermon series, do one on rest because yes. Christians obsessed over that. <laughs> now, never mind the fact if you don't use it, you lose it in your physical body. 
So like right. if, you know, the muscles atrophy with too much rest, right? right? And so here's what that's revealing. It's not that we need more rest. It's that we need proper rhythms. And so mm. like, I think for me practically, it's like the way to get people to serve sustainably is to make them the healthiest version of themselves. Yes. So like, so what we're doing is on the front end, we're front loading with so much value. Like I mentioned, that's the hospital phase. We're like, we will do mm. anything it takes to get you healthy in the front end. So people's mm. earliest engagement with our church is not, hey, meet our celebrity pastor. It's, hey, mm. meet the team of people that we are assigning to your life to get every area healthy. Then Love what it. happens is we're building so much value in their life. Then as they get healthy, the, the thought organically starts bubbling up man, how could I do this for other people? How mm, could I so join? Good. Like, you know, I want to be like the person who helped me. And then that's when they, now watch though, that's when they start becoming family. Like I belong here and these people right. really care about me and I couldn't even help them because of the state that I came in, but now they're help. But then right when we get at that point, that's when our team starts discerning, okay, we've got to start putting them on assignment because as you know, if we stay in the family phase, Number one, that's not biblical because the early church mm -hmm. was adding daily. They were constantly expanding. Mm -hmm. Healthy mm -hmm. things grow, but mm -hmm. we got it. But because, you know, we don't want to be incestuous, right? So mm -hmm. then that's when we start intentionally telling them, hey, you were, a, when we first met you, you were a heroin addict. We took mm -hmm. you, you know, we took you through this long phase. Now you've been sober for a year. What would it look like for you to facilitate a connect group for other people who are struggling with addiction? And what right. we found, Rich, is that people will most likely will not think that thought on their own. It needs to be mm. sewed into their mind. Intentional. That's why yep. like Jesus walked up to them and said, hey, I've got an idea. I know you're a fisherman, but I will make you a fisher of men. He had to sew that idea. He had to recruit because mm -hmm. that's, re that's not a natural thought. So I think mm -hmm. a lot of pastors right now are probably getting their mind blown because they think, and, th and this is, I, I feel like this is going to be the mic drop statement of the whole podcast for somebody, is they think, I have served these people so well, when are they going to start serving our house? And why does mm -hmm. that, that just happen um, automatically? Guess what, pastor? It's, it's not going to happen. And no, it doesn't make these good. people selfish. They, right. These people love you. They love their church, but they will become selfish unless you transition them. And then you train your leaders to transition them. So it's a, it's the culture of V1 to, to mm -hmm. go out into the, the population and say, hey, have you ever thought about leading a connect group? Hey, have you ever thought about serving you know, and being a Dude, leader on the dream team? And it's like, that's a cultural thing. Jesus recruited, so you're going to have to recruit. But watch yep. this. If you recruit them, without a t an attempt to to get them healthy and build value in their life, you're selfish. Mm. But if you do recruit them after you've shown them that you don't want anything from them and you've selflessly led them, now you're empowering them. Oh, so good. So good. So, yeah. Dude, that's great. Love it. That is so good. There's a lot packed in there. And, you know, I remember years ago, I heard this one pastor where we were, he was talking about harvest and the idea of the harvest. And like, our, we're, you know, we're excited about, our church is seeing a huge harvest. And, and, and he made this point that I was like, Oh gosh, I've never thought of it that way. Is he said, you know, well, most of us in this room are, are don't come from an agrarian culture. We don't come from a place where yeah. we had to harvest. And our impression of the harvest is like, that's when all the good things happen. 
And and then he put, he points. He's anybody here been a farmer? And there's like one guy raises his hand. He's like, well, what happens at harvest? And the and the farmer says, we work really hard. <laughs> like that's you know, and and that's true. Like I think I've often thought like harvest. I sure I want to have a harvest, but it's like man, really, what it is is you got to lean in, and it's the same kind of army intensity. I love that. I want to come back yeah. to this idea that hey, your people, and this is so true. Um, your people are looking for you to be a pastor, to be the like jack of all trades, master of none, do everything. Talk to a leader who's experiencing that today. That you have gone through this transition from pastor of a church of fifty people, um, and there, that's a major kind of milestone head thing that people mindset that people have to get their that pastors have to get their head around. I've got to not make all roads lead to me. I've got to find ways to empower other people. Talk us, talk to a pastor who's in that and is struggling with that today. How do how how can we get our heads around ensuring that we're positioning ourselves correctly and not actually giving into that um, with our people? Well, yeah, and you know, here's the thing. I, it's with a lot of empathy I say this because probably the pastor does do it better. You know, I mean, that's the reality of it. And a, a lot of pastors that I know, they can sing, play multiple instruments, preach a phenomenal sermon, take up the offering and more money comes in than if somebody else does it. But what happens is you're winning in the short term, but then you're losing in the long run. And I can't tell you so how many pastors didn't finish strong because they weren't raising up children. And here's the thing. It's like, you've got the way I look at it is um, if they can do it 70% as well as I can, and then I can take them on a journey of development. And I think that's just part of it, changing their poopy diapers, you know, crying with them, laughing with them. But if you raise up, if you, if you build a culture of training and development, then what'll happen is eventually, once you do get a couple of layers of spiritual children in your leadership, they will then start policing the culture for you and they'll mm -hmm. start filling in the blanks and it becomes easier and easier as you go. I didn't mm -hmm. know that in the early days. It's just somebody would go up on stage and say something and I'd say, oh, they just destroyed my entire ministry. You know, because you know, <laughs> they would say something stupid and I'd be like, yes, oh, I gotta yes, fix that. Yes. But here's the thing, like, you're either going to deal with the pain of doing it all yourself or the mm. pain of development of other mm. people. And you have to yeah, choose pick your, your pain. pain. Yeah, you're not getting good, out of good. pain. It's either the yeah. pain of like, I got to do this all myself, or it's the pain of, oh no, they said something stupid or they did something. Mm. And what I've learned is that if you're willing to go with the pain of development, eventually that becomes a lesser pain. And that, right. and so because now like, okay, watch, I've got a campus in Miami. I've got a campus in Bakersfield, California, Indiana. I got a campus in Long Island, New York city. I cannot physically be in those places, right. but what I've done over time through development and training and releasing and imparting to people is create a situation where like Jesus said, it's better that I go. And, mm. and, and they, they couldn't understand They're Like, what do you mean? You're Jesus. It's better that you go. And most pastors, their mantra would be, it's better that I stay. Right. And so oh, gosh. if we're really going to be like Jesus, we've got to create a, a culture in our church where it is actually better that we go. And, right. and what I mean by that so is, um, you know, it's, it's you will do greater things. And a lot of that for me comes from, like I mentioned before, I never had a dad. I'm a first generation pastor. Nobody mm -hmm. invested in my church. I started it with 18 people. And I just mm -hmm. thought like, you know what? I'm going to be what I never had. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, so and I felt like 
People didn't believe in me. People didn't understand me. And I was like, I'm going to be, and I was jacked up emotionally. So a lot of V1 <laughs> is really me trying to be for people what I wish so badly a church was for me. Mm. And it's with that empathy that we've grown because now for me, I love preaching, Rich. That's one of my favorite things. But you know what I love more than preaching? I love watching somebody I train to preach crush it. And I'm that mm. like soccer mom on the side of the field, just screaming them down, <laughs> being like, yeah, because now, you know, now so I can, and, and you listen, I'll, what, how I know that I'm headed in the right direction, because I haven't arrived yet. I mean, I'm still failing forward, but I, I was on vacation one Sunday and we broke an attendance record and love I just it, laughed. And I was like, okay, Jesus, I'm yes, learning. Yes, I love that. We, we had a very similar thing when I was at Liquid just around the corner from you. We went away. The, yeah. We, our leadership team went away for a weekend and we were visiting another church. And that was, you know, super rare. You get all the folks that lead this thing. We all went and visited another church. And it was like, you know, there was like, a, should we really do this kind of thing? And, sh and it was the same thing. We had a, we set record attendance that weekend, record up until that point, record revenue as well. And I, and I said that on Monday, Tuesday, I was like, it's like the Lord was saying like, Hey guys, let's just remember, it's not about us. It's about something else. I love that. That's this. Well, so and let good. me just Mike tag this on there because I think yeah, it's totally. it a phenomenon is the spiritual children. They want to make you proud. So like they'll oh, overcompensate. Sure, yeah. So it's like, oh, Rich and the team are gone. Let's show them what we got. And then yep. they'll try in, in their, their elbow grease will get them further. So it's like yep. sometimes you got to factor that in where they'll scrap these big wins for you because they mm -hmm. want to make you proud. Yeah, that's good. Well, and I love that. You said something there that really resonated with me as well is when you said, you know, I think, you know, we should be like Jesus and say, it's better for me to go. And I think in some ways, some of our cultures have that completely inversed where we actually highly value the person who just stays. It's like they've been there for 40 years. They've, you know, they're, they're the person who's done the same thing for 40 years. And there's, there's a real dark side to that, which means they have not raised anyone else up. They have not brought anyone behind them. And so, yeah, I love that, Mike. What a great, uh, great Thank encouragement. You. Well, just as we're as we're closing down, um, I I, uh, I want to hear from you. Just kind of final moments, but we also have uh, this great PDF, fantastic read for folks called "The Ten Enemies of Process." Tell us a little bit about this. I appreciate you just give, giving us this this uh, resource, but tell us a little bit about that as we close. There's up today's probably episode. well, there's probably so much that people are thinking like, I want to try the things that they talked about in the podcast. And if you have a barrier to actually accomplishing it, there's probably ten barriers or 10 reasons why it's not happening. And matter mm. of fact, I mean, I've done this leadership talk, the 10 enemies of process at literally the second largest church in America and other places. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and it would even be worth you guys literally reading it and having a mm -hmm. discussion with your team, with your staff, because it's going to hit on things like self-pity you know, like yep. some of those reasons were like, why is this? How can I not get them from hospital to family to army? Why am mm -hmm. I not transitioning them? It's one of these 10 things. And so I yeah, just wanted I to make it. that available just to, just to love I on you, you doing that. I really <laughs> appreciate that. I thought the exact same thing. I was going to say that same thing. I, to me, I think this is a great, it's like a ready to use leadership resource. Listen, friends, I endorsed it. I took some time to read it before this. You don't even have to read it ahead of time. Send it to your leadership team and say, hey, we're going to meet next week. We're going to talk about this. I think it'd be great. It'd be a great blessing for you as you, and I really appreciate, Mike, you putting that together. Uh, so as we're wrapping up, anything else you'd love to say just as we close today's episode? No, you know, I'm praying that people are encouraged because 
um, really for me, I, I, like I said, I'm the least likely to even be achieving these things. When, when we hit these statuses of fastest growing church, we literally cry, our team cried because for mm. us, it was not the accumulation of numbers. It was the accumulation of stories. And so mm, like, so if good. you have in your heart right now, well, I don't, you know, these people are obsessed with church growth. No, actually, no. I think what you, the, I want to reframe it is like, God wants to give you more stories. Your life mm, carries so more good. testimonies. And that's why we cried because we knew the stories of these lives. And that's really what I think the heart of the father is for many people. So I'm cheering you on. I'm shouting you guys down and I can't wait to hear the testimonies even from this podcast. Love it. Thanks so much, Mike. If people want to connect with you or with the church, where do we want to send them online? Yeah, I would say maybe go to my website. It's mikesignorelli.com. I've got more resources there, a lot of blogs and different things. And matter of fact, I, I just want to sneak this in real quick. Rich, yeah, really, absolutely. I believe we, we are living in the fruit of your yes. And I mean, mm. you know this, but I've like forced my team to do so many of your trainings <laughs> and we've regarded your stuff as like the best of the best. And so this, oh, so this was a full Thank circle you. moment because I think when we were only two campuses deep is when I started engaging you and being like, mm -hmm. guys, everything Rich has put out, consume it, learn it. I'm quizzing you on it. So I just want to publicly honor you and acknowledge oh, your hard sweet. work because we're, we are the byproduct of that. Oh, I appreciate that, Mike. That's super kind of you to say that. And uh, yeah, I, I'm like I say, I'm a fan from afar. Love what you guys do. Love cheering on V1. And it's fun to see. And there's a lot of other stuff we could have talked about today. Uh, but I really appreciate you really serving our audience and, and jumping in. So again, I just will we'll put a link in the show notes, MikeSignorelli.com. Love to send you over. There's lots of great stuff there. Thanks for being here today, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Unseminary Podcast. Drop by unseminary.com for more helpful resources for you and your team. There you will find articles, online courses, and so much more. Unseminary, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Presented by CDF Capital. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary.